In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Betches Media presents... Chrissy Teigen referred to Donald Trump as a pussy-ass bitch. Look, he's a sick puppy. He, he, shouldn't be, he shouldn't be there. Well, I lost half a day of skiing. I'm going to punch him out and I'm going to go to jail. I'm going to be happy. The Betches Sub Podcast. A speaker has not been elected. Hello, this is the Better Sub Podcast, where C-SPAN meets the group chat to help you process and laugh at the biggest topics in U.S. news and politics. I'm Amanda Dubrin, the news director here at Betches. I'm Elise Morales, a comedian and writer of the Betches Sup newsletter. And I'm Millie Tamaris, comedian and sub video contributor. Today's number is 24, because that is how many seconds it took Representative Jasmine Crockett to eviscerate the Republican Party's claim to be the tough on crime party during a House Oversight Committee hearing on D.C.'s police reform bill. We had a chance to interview the Congresswoman this morning about that hearing, what's going on with the debt limit, her first year in Congress. We're going to start with that interview and we'll be back in a minute for the panel discussion. I I mean, we we said the moment you sent that clip through the group chat, but new fave just dropped. Yeah. Absolutely. She's amazing. Yeah. She was such such a delight, such a delight. We are here with Representative Jasmine Crockett, who represents Texas's 30th congressional district. We are so excited you could join us today. Happy Monday. How are you doing? I am making it, honey. <laughs> yeah, Millie, you too. Yeah, we get that. Yes, yeah, so enthusiastic, all enthusiastic nods all across the board. But um, I mean, I think you're you're more than making it. I mean, I just want to start right away. Our listeners will recognize your voice from you know. I think the whole internet saw the instantly iconic twenty four seconds at the end of your remarks during last week's House Oversight Committee hearing. That's when you highlighted the the GOP's eagerness to discuss crime in cities with Democratic leaders, but refused to engage meaningfully with policies that will actually make Americans safer. I mean, last week, Elise sent this through the group chat and it lit up. Uh, tell us how you prepared for your remarks and why you think they resonated. Just take us behind the scenes of your thinking and what led to that moment, because it was incredible. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what's so interesting is most people don't understand that when we get a notice about a hearing, all we get is a title. We don't get anything else. Um, we just get DC hearing, right? DC mm -hmm. crime. And so you don't know what exactly is going to be said. Um, but since this was the second time they decided to beat up on DC, um, I had a little bit of an idea of what way they would go. Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, you know, I think what's really important is that we point out the hypocrisy of the GOP overall and this this farce of this idea that they are tough on crime because they are not tough on crime um, for sure, because we continue to talk about the January Sixers and the treatment of them, the unfair treatment of these convicted felons, the majority of them, right? Um, these convicted insurrectionists. And so this idea that they're tough on crime when people are really craving um, to feel safer in their communities, the reality is that the crime that we're seeing is spiking really because of their radical rhetoric. And that's where we're getting a lot of the gun violence. So they don't want to talk about the white supremacy um, that they are putting out there or the great replacement theory that they are putting out there that led to the shootings that we saw in Buffalo that 
led to the shooting that we saw in El Paso. They don't want to talk about their racist rhetoric or even the shooting that we recently saw in Allen, Texas. And so as far as I'm concerned, uh, they are the cause of a lot of the crime and violence that we see in this country. Yeah, I'm just obsessed with everything. <laughs> I think it's so amazing. But, you know, let's rewind a bit to how you got to Congress. Uh, you know, I'm sure our listeners want to know a little bit about your background and what path led you to represent Texas's 30th congressional district. Yeah, I think this is the head scratcher that people are still trying to figure out how exactly did Jasmine get to Congress. Um, Listen, I am a lowly or I was a lowly civil rights lawyer um, who also did criminal defense work. And so essentially, I got frustrated fighting one case at a time um, in the state of Texas. That's what led me to run for the state house, because I really wanted to change state law and bring about some equity um, in what I felt like was an unequitable system. And so I ran for the state house. I thought I had great opportunities in the midst of George Floyd. I thought that we would finally um, try to find some equity in health care. Now that you understand that the person that works at the grocery store has the ability to kill you because we were in the midst of a pandemic. Or um, I thought we would find equity as relates to policing in America, as we saw not just in this country, but all around the world. People were watching the lynching of George Floyd. And I thought that maybe we were about to move the needle in the right direction. I was wrong. If anybody paid attention to anything that's going on in Texas, um, they did not want to do right. They wanted to do more wrong. But in the midst of it all, we ended up fleeing the state of Texas over voting rights. And that's actually what raised my profile is when we flew to D.C., Um, And I ended up doing lots of national news. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, my congresswoman who had served for 30 years, the only person to ever serve in that seat, she actually called me and said it was time for her to retire at 87 Mm. and that I should be the one to run and replace her. And I thought I was being punked, uh, (laughs) but I was not. Uh, And so I ended up running uh, and, and winning. That's so that's such an amazing story. And it really it brings me to what I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, we talk a lot about Texas on this podcast. We have a ton of listeners from Texas. What is it like for you to represent Texas as a Democrat and for our listeners in Texas and listeners outside the state who care about what goes on in Texas? What? What should they know? What should where should they look to to support for change? What how can they support you and what your caucus is doing? Where can they kind of look for more encouragement, even when times can be discouraging at sort of like the state level? Yeah, so uh, I have been told a number of times that I'm a bright spot for Texas. Um, For me, I wanted the reputation of Texas to be turned around a little bit, and I wanted people to recognize that there are reasonable, um, responsible uh, elected officials in our state, and we are a lot better than what um, is seen usually on the national level. Uh, You know, unfortunately, our governor is usually uh, in the national spotlight, uh, and as well as, you know, we've got our national elected folk when we're looking at um, or Ted Cruz, right? Like, yeah. so we get this bad rap because we have these really big kind of characters at play. Um, 
you know, and so I thought that it was important that those Texans, I know people think I'm crazy, but Texas is really blue. And before y'all laugh, don't let see, I see you no. smile. Um, no, 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 I see. You're purple. talking to a, Millie is a native Floridian, so you're really speaking her language. Yeah, I know. I know what's going on there. <laughs> no, I mean, listen, you're not seeking voter suppression uh, in this state for no reason, right? Um, Texas, unfortunately, is a non-voting state. And I want people in Texas to be encouraged to say, you know what? I don't know if it's going to make a difference, but I'm going to try because we may get the next big voice out of Texas, right? So I just want people to know that number one, if you just take that first step and say, I'm going to show up to the polls, that there's an opportunity to get a really good and reasonable voice that will speak out and truly represent for who we are. When you look at the numbers, when you look at the polling across Texas, we our, our polling doesn't indicate the actual legislation that we're getting passed, right? Um, and Texas is a majority minority state. We are probably the only red majority minority state in this country, mm. um, but we are a voter suppressed state. We are also, um, you know, just a non-voting state. We are in the lower five of the 50 states when it comes to voting. And so if we just show up, we will show this country who we are, which is better than what we see. That's so true. And that's something we talk about on the podcast all the time is like states that are kind of blue states that are held hostage a little bit by their voter suppression legislation and, you know, various different things people do to try to stop people from voting. So just hearing that, like the act of coming out is something that you can do is really powerful. Absolutely. Well, also like the zigzag uh, gerrymandering probably doesn't help either, but that's a whole other conversation. But I also think that's why last week was so powerful because like, you know, for people that maybe didn't already know that you were in Congress to see that video, you know, you might assume, oh, here's like a person from, you know, a democratic state, but to see that the person that went mega viral over this incredible statement was a representative from Texas, I'm sure was really motivating to to young folks there that have wondered, you know, does my vote matter? Like, can we actually elevate the people that speak for me? And you showed them that like, if you turn out, you can. Yeah, no, I definitely forwarded that video to my friend who's a school teacher in Texas, who's always saying, you know, so, I, you know, I, I she felt seen too. We're approaching the first anniversary of the Dobbs decision. So we wanted to know how has that decision impacted your constituents? Oh, man. Um, I'm sure y'all saw the the mega viral video from Amanda. Yeah. um, Who is in the state of Texas. And, you know, it is such a heartbreaking reality. And while she was in Texas or while she lives in Texas, this is the story of so many women um, across this country in these crazy red states that have just decided that they are going to go so extreme as it relates to what freedom should really look like, right? Like right now we will do any and everything to regulate a woman's uterus and dare not um, do any regulation as relates to guns in this country, which Mm -hmm. to be clear is the number one killer of children in this country. So this idea that you are Mm pro-life is just BS as far as I'm concerned. Um, And so, you know, to hear her story, how she fought to be pregnant, how she really wanted to have a child. um, And now because doctors were nervous, because when I was in session last term in the Texas House, it is now punishable for up to 
um, life in prison if a doctor performs an abortion in the state of Texas. Um, And so, you know, doctors were fearful. And so she basically had to almost die. And now this woman who only wanted to have a child um, most likely will not be able to bear a child. Um, So if anything, they are taking women's lives right now. And they are also taking um, the potential of future families away from these women. Mm -hmm. And so these uninformed or ill-informed radical, uh, maniacal folk that we got that are writing these laws Um, they are really doing so much more harm than good. Um, If they would just listen to the professionals, medical professionals talk about um, the fact that honestly, the safest route for a woman is an abortion, to be perfectly Mm. honest. The closest thing to death that a woman can do is actually bear a child. Um, Mm. This idea that, oh yeah, you just get pregnant and it's all easy breezy. Uh That's not what it is. It is not easy to carry a life. Um, and so to get into a woman's business and, and let me point this out really quickly, the state of Texas and women in Texas led the charge for actually having reproductive freedom in this country. Roe yeah. v. Wade is a mm-hmm. case that came out of my district in wow. Dallas, Texas. It was the district attorney was um, was Henry Wade in Dallas County. And that is where that case originated, Mm -hmm. um, the idea for privacy. And so 30 years ago, when my predecessor, I guess it was 32 years ago now, when she swore into the Texas House as one of two only um, Black women, first Black women is to swear into the Texas House, she swore in with Sarah Weddington. And they were actually on the floor as freshmen when Sarah Weddington got the call because we have... um, phones in our house desk uh, on the Texas House floor when she got the call that she won the Roe v. Wade decision as a young lawyer. That's when she found out. And so Texas was leading the way in making sure that women for for Mm -hmm. years, and I said 30 years ago, I'm sorry, that was 50 years ago, Mm -hmm. 50 years ago when she swore into uh, the Texas House. And so we led the way in reproductive freedom. And and ever since then, Texas was fighting its way to lead the way to turn back the hands of time on that freedom. And unfortunately, they did lead the charge. Um, but mm-hmm. I truly believe that women and young people are refusing to go back. And so I will be standing and fighting for them, um, not just in Texas, but in this entire country to make sure the real freedom in this country is recognized. That's awesome. And I know that we only have you for like one more minute. So if we could just, uh, if you could just solve this in the next minute, that would be amazing. Um, what is going on with the debt ceiling? <laughs> what are your colleagues? What's the what plan? What are the vibes right now uh, with all of that? So you got jokes. Is what you Because <laughs> <laughs> you just told me to solve it in, in, in one minute. Uh, We are being held hostage once again by the radical right. Right. We saw Trump the other week tell them, since I'm not president, don't lift the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling that was lifted three times under his leadership. And unfortunately, there are those that are afraid to go against Trump. Um, So, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen. I am sitting here on pins and needles, just Mm -hmm. like the rest of the country. Yeah. Uh, waiting for someone to act in a responsible way. But at the end of the day, he ran up the credit card. Mm-hmm. 25% mm-hmm. of this debt, he is the one that created it. And now he's telling us, don't pay the credit card. 
mm-hmm. uh, unless I'm back in office. It doesn't make sense. Um, it is going to cause more harm than good, um, not just in this country, but literally for our country on the world stage. And so um, hopefully McCarthy will get himself mm-hmm. together. But y'all saw how hard it was for him to get his speakership in the first place. So uh-huh. well, know, 15 I, I times is a charm, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes you got to do something 15 times to do it right, you know. Uh, thank you so, so much for your time, Representative Crockett. Uh, we really appreciate it. And listeners, make sure you are following her if you're not already at at Rep Jasmine. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, y'all. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. All right, now on to the main news. Ladies, I regret to inform you that the GOP primary is heating up. Oh. What do you, what 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 images does that conjure? Cuz to me when I say GOP primary is heating up, I think of a jar of mayonnaise left <laughs> in the sun for 3 days, just curdling. For me, it's always the image from the last GOP primary where Something happened at the beginning of one of the debates and they couldn't figure out who was supposed to walk out first. (laughs) And so like Chris Christie is walking and then Trump is walking. And that that Mm -hmm. is like indelible in the hippocampus. That is my (laughs) GOP primary image forever. Ted Cruz was there, too. It was like a clown car and they're all stumbling to get out of it. (laughs) When I think of GOP primary heating up. I just think of like Marco Rubio giving that speech and like really sweating a lot mm-hmm. and stumbling over his words and taking like a lot of drink sips of water and just like the weirdest water like, sip, the water sip heard around the world. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm thinking is just like everyone's nervous. They're all like hot messes. People are sweating. Yeah. A lot of sweat, a lot of flop sweat. Definitely. 
CNN's town hall with Trump a few weeks ago kind of to me felt like it marked the beginning of like a new phase of the 2024 election. Today on Monday, Tim Scott, a Republican senator from South Carolina, he formally announced his candidacy. He is the Senate's only black Republican. He's a self-described born again believer. He does support a national 15 week ban on abortion. He's 57 Mm -hmm. and he's told donors and allies that he believes he's the only candidate who can weaken Donald Trump's grasp on the Republican nomination. So I think they're all it's like they're all competing to be the Donald Trump. Trump alternative. And then Donald Trump is sort of in, you know, his a race with himself. The Scott campaign is really aggressive here. I think he probably has a lot of uh, donors that would like to see him be the nominee. They've scheduled five and a half million dollars worth of campaign ads to begin air- airing in New Hampshire and Iowa next week. Poor, I'm sorry, New Hampshire and Iowa next week. These are descending upon you. And this is going to represent the first major ad spending from any declared candidate in the 2024 race. Other names before we get to Meatball Ron slash Pudding Fingers are former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. He's, he's putting his hat in the ring again. Interesting. What? Interesting. I, I, I your face. I it's I just don't the understand. I I'm concerned. I'm concerned as Chris Christie is a graduate of University of Delaware. As a fellow Blue Hen, I'm concerned with what is the choices <laughs> because he, it's like. Him, Mike Pence, there are these people where I'm like, who is telling you anybody wants you to run for president? Like, I mean, Tim Scott, I don't think there's a particular appetite for him to run for president either. But at least as like the Senate's only black Republican, he is bringing something potentially different to the table. Right. Or he's never actually run before, so there's yeah, actually yeah. That's the other thing. Too. Like Nikki Haley never actually yet. done yeah. it. She's bringing her toxic girl boss energy to. The, like I understand when it's someone who's like I'm an outsider. Like there's that Vivek Ramaswamy mm-hmm. guy who's like he's like I'm the outsider right, businessman. Or like if they have another thing that's their thing. And then Ron DeSantis, even though he's 30 points behind Trump, he's kind of considered the only other guy who can do it. But like a Chris Christie, a again, Mike Pence. I'm like, who? These are people who go to Republican events and get booed by the people who would be voting in the primary. So I'm just like, how do you win a primary? What? Is that for who's telling you to do this? Why? Well, Tim Scott is the first Black Republican running for president. But uh, Chris Christie might be the first uh, Republican who's closed a beach on Fourth of July weekend that's running for president famously and then ends up going to the beach that same week. Or what about the first uh, Republican politician who closed a major bridge uh, so people can't transport because he was mad at the mayor of the corresponding city. You know, you're not really acknowledging, at least the groundbreaking things that these senators that do. Chris Christie has yeah. done. That Maybe, is true. Yeah. Maybe his platform is going to be I'll be petty for you, America. I'll be petty for you. Well, I do want to say just because I can't engage in Ben Carson erasure that I do think that. Ben <laughs> oh, sorry, 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 sorry. Yeah. First. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We cannot yeah, yeah. Ben let Ben Carson be erased. And, no. And um, what was the one that just the guy that died at the, from the COVID Trump rally, uh, the black Republican man who ran. Herman. 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 
Canning so Gage and Herman Cain erasure. I'm These so are really sorry. important people. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Kanye, He's, I don't know if he counts. Like, yeah, Kanye. <laughs> I don't know if he ran for Republican. I think he was independent. No, he was running for like the Kanye. Kanye like, yeah, the Conheads. Yeah. yeah. Connor Roy, Kanye. Yeah. Yes. Kanye West, Connor Roy. Con heads. Um, I'm sorry. He's not the first Republican. He's the, I mean, black Republican. It feels like the first sort of, you know, national, na- yeah, like national elected official who is sort of part of the establishment that I think has like, you know, a real potential, you know, yeah, he has things going for him for, for that audience. He gives them, we, we say this phrase all the time on the podcast. A lot of Republican voters are looking for a permission structure. They're looking for one thing to feel good about when they vote Republican. And, um, you know, I think that in kind of like a insidious way, that's, that's what his supporters are, are looking for. There's a very funny video. I'll, I'll insert the clip in our recording right now where, um, Tim Scott just says, hello, Charleston. And it's really rough. His voice just sort of cracks and it's real high and he's getting roasted already. So we're off to a good start. Hello, North Charleston! Well, you know, as again, uh, a podcast run by three women, where, who are we to, to, to make fun hate of people's vocal, voices? To hate on vocal yeah. fry. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, now let's move on to Ron DeSantis. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is expected to file papers with the Federal Election Commission to run for president this week. So his timeline is kind of coming into focus. And a lot of what we know about it is kind of people reading between the lines. I've also read that like his campaign um, is doing leak testing. So they're like telling people things and then seeing what shows up in in the media. Um, So, you know, I, I don't really think people are Ron DeSantis of supporters are trying to blow up his spot, but this is what we people are inferring about the timeline. Moving vans were spotted by a new office location, and this kind of signifies that he's starting a new political operation, which would trigger a 15 day window to file those papers to run. And I think that that window is going to end this week. Ron DeSantis and his campaign have also booked 100 hotel rooms for donors at the Miami Four Seasons at the end of this week for a big event, which you don't you can't do unless you filed the papers. So he's probably going to announce sometime in the next two weeks. Another factor here. I don't think I knew this before today. And it is we're going to talk about all the crazy shit that he has done in the past couple months. But this is this is a choice. So another factor here is going to be the timeline on revisions to Florida's resign to run laws. Previously, anyone seeking office in Florida had to resign from the elected position they already hold after qualifying as a candidate. In late April, the Florida legislator, legislature passed a bill that creates an exemption for office holders who are running for president or vice president. And Ron DeSantis is expected to sign that oh into law God. soon. You know, sometimes on this podcast, it feels like we have to explain the nitty gritty of the of the fascist leanings. But that's it's all it's right there. It's the lowest hanging fruit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wow. He really thinks he's the little king of Florida, doesn't he? <laughs> Like the king that Absolutely. barely won too. It's crazy. I yeah. have to. I have to say, okay. In defense okay. of the sub. In defense of the sub. Do you think one hundred hotel rooms at the Miami Four Seasons was less or more expensive than an eight thousand dollar a night <laughs> <laughs> uh, room in Boston at the Ritz Carlton Boston? Boston? I'm not saying you anything. Know, honestly, I feel like. The- I have definitely to side more. with it's definitely more, but at least it is a legitimate campaign event. 
true yeah. true there. <laughs> like, like but, he said i'm using this money for campaign stuff and it is so he kind of has cinema on that one. Oh god yeah, but i'm just like it's more than eight thousand, but it's not as like it's not that much not, more. No, he's definitely 10, not booking he's not booking eight thousand dollar rooms per person that no. that's for sure and also like i don't know it's kind of a lot to ask your supporters to waste their memorial day weekend on you but well, i mean Long weekend in Miami at the Four Seasons, I guess. That's his, that's his pull. Well, it's crazy that Memorial Day weekend, I mean, I don't know if y'all know this, but Memorial Day weekend in Miami is like notably like a super big hip hop event. It's mm. kind of like a big black vacation event where everyone goes to Miami specifically and like all the rappers go. It was like this whole thing every time. So the fact that Ronnie Sanchez is announcing that same time, yeah. like, I is don't that know, why the NAACP issued a travel advisory? For maybe. Well, honestly, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't think. Uh, do you remember during the pandemic when a bunch of people were flying to mm-hmm. Florida and memorial? Like, it is like a big thing. I have like mm-hmm. that people from all over the country, especially you know black people from all over the country, go for a Memorial Day weekend. And there's all these big hip hop shows and hip hop events. And the NAACP is telling people, do not go. Yeah. <laughs> Kamala Harris, Where's, do not come. Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris said, do not come here. Do not, do come. not come. The wheels so, on the bus turn around. <laughs> should be her PSA. So we have been talking about Ron DeSantis and his presidential aspirations, uh, you know, quite a lot ad nauseum on our show. How do you think the formal announcement will kind of change the tenor of the conversation around the 2024 race? What gear do you think this kicks us into? Do you think it changes anything? I think it definitely kicks the primary into higher gear just because Ron DeSantis has been able to kind of hide behind like not being officially in the race for a Mm -hmm. bit now. Mm-hmm. But once he enters, like he is going to have to answer some of the stuff Donald Trump is posting on his mm-hmm. personal blog, a.k.a. Truth Social, <laughs> <That's just laughs> him <laughs> posting things into the obli- into oblivion. But like he I mean, we talked in the past about he how he was like Ron DeSantis Strat would party with his students, which is actually kind of maybe true, but. Like, Ron DeSantis has to, in the past, he's been able to be like, I don't spend my time attacking other Republicans. I'm focused on Florida. But when you're running for president, it's like, and in, and you're in a Republican primary, like, you do kind of have to spend some of your time attacking other Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see this very, like, focused, tested campaign that he's clearly, like, like you said, like, his campaign has clearly, like, tried a bunch of things and is testing a lot of different things. So... I'm interested to see where he lands on how to actually answer the shit that Trump says about him. To piggyback off of like what Elise is saying, he has to start responding to what Trump is saying, but him also being like officially being in the race will also give credence to really all of us and like journalists and everything, like really doing a deep dive into his background and all that shit. And like, now that it's official, we, you know, like it really puts him in this different position where before it's like, am I going to run whatever? And also I wonder what him officially running for president, 
does with the Disney stuff. Like now that he's like a presidential elect, mm-hmm. having this like pending pending Disney feud, like it's gonna be really interesting to see like where Disney puts their money and all this mm-hmm. stuff. Okay. Mm-hmm. What's the next round of whatever? I don't know. I feel like Disney should pay for <laughs> just how Ron is saying <laughs> valuable on B. Disney should pay us for the onion to <laughs> anti Ron DeSantis. Listen, listen. Our DMs Disney? are open. Disney? Mr. Mouse, please. <laughs> please. Bob, Bob Iger. If you're listening. My other thought about DeSantis too is that like a lot of people have speculated that he's like, He's not really that charismatic in front of a camera and stuff. He he doesn't have what Trump's got as far as like kind of weird. I mean, with Trump, it's like a weird, dark magnetism. But Mm -hmm. he does. He hosted a a successful reality show for a long time. Like he's, you know, he's got he's got something. It's dark. It comes from a dark place, but he's got something. But. It'll be interesting to see, like, once people actually are seeing and hearing Ron DeSantis deliver his message, and it's not just, like, he's this figure that you hear about on the news and you see, like, pictures of him. or signing crazy laws, yeah. Yeah, and you see, like, pictures of him. You'll maybe hear a snippet or whatever. But once he actually has to put himself out there for longer periods of time, like, uh, is our people drawn to him? At all, because I I don't find him personally very magnetic or engaging as a speaker. He has that very like Florida is where Wilk comes to die. It's like I don't even I don't even know if he's got what Tucker Carlson's got in terms of like a bow tie. A bow tie. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't, yeah, he's not wearing a bow tie. And he's got a weird I don't laugh. Know. Yeah, he's got a weird laugh. You don't want to have a beer with him. And uh, uh, that matters, unfortunately, for Ron DeSantis. Well, and Trump, you don't want to have a, a, not, Bud have a beer Light, <laughs> not Bud Light with with, uh, with um, Ron DeSantis. No, Trump, like, I, don't know, I feel like, you know, Trump is the guy who's like, we'll stare directly into the eclipse or yell at the kid that's mowing his lawn, like trying to talk. Like, there's <laughs> something where he, I mean, I think he does, but he doesn't also take himself so seriously. That there's no humor there where mm-hmm. I feel like DeSantis is just so up his own ass. There was like this, there's this video circulating on Twitter of DeSantis doing like this constituent event at a diner. And he's like, hey, ah, uh, and it was like this <laughs> super like, like meeting constituents. And so yeah. he's like, hey, so excited to meet you. Like, my name is Greg. And he's like, hi, yes. Like, he's not like, <laughs> kind of like a yeah. angry, like an angry, like Hulk trying to have you know mm-hmm. human conversation it's and just- so do you think voters care about that do you think people that sort of think oh i love ron DeSantis," that have sort of admired him from outside florida and they think that they like him they're republicans do you think that seeing him more visible and seeing him sort of trip over himself and being a little awkward and not really having you know the charisma that you really kind of need to run for president or get elected and the magnetism that elise talked about do you think that he's going to lose some some of those people's like fondness just just for being awkward I feel like I got I'm just trying to think of like it from from a marketing perspective for mm-hmm. some kind of like whatever. So it's like, what is Trump providing people? Trump is providing people like that outsider, that disruptor, 
this guy who doesn't play by the rules and blah, blah, blah. And then you have somebody like a Paul Ryan or a Mitt Romney who is like an institutionalist and like, you know, very well polished and very by the book and has these conservative policies. But, you know, is, you know, again, like, again, well polished by the book, charismatic, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you have a Ron DeSantis who's not really either of them. He's not really fulfilling this disruptor. I mean, he's doing the disruptor act with the policies, mm -hmm. but then he's trying to come off as a Paul Ryan, like a measured Republican, and it's not really hitting both. So it's like, if you want the disruptor, you'll go to Trump. If you want this clean cut version, you'll just go to someone else. I, I, that's where I'm thinking, you know, but no, I think you nailed that. I think that's exactly it. I think that's exactly it. I never thought of it that way. He's sort of like trying to achieve both of these things, but he doesn't really have the goods to do either. So it's you're right. It's not it's not connecting. The pieces aren't getting or aren't coming together. It's just there's a lot of friction. Well, yeah. And I feel like some people will buy into that. But it's also like, you know, uh, as for the Gen Zers listening to this podcast, why buy the dupe when you can get the <laughs> I mean, he yep. is like. He is basically trying to be a Trump dupe. He's I like think. a Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think his, I mean, his best play has always been, I'll give you all the Trump stuff, but I'm not indicted. <laughs> I'm not like under multiple criminal investigations and I can, I can actually do more of the stuff because I do understand how this works, but I'm just not sure like, like that, I think, is his argument and it's his best argument, but I'm not sure how well that fares if he's not personally engaging really to people and he does not have the dark it factor that Trump has. Because if yeah. you think about like the last like big whatever elections like Obama was obviously like a uniquely charismatic orator and person. Donald Trump is charismatic in his dark way. I guess yeah. I wouldn't call Joe Biden particularly charismatic. I, think he, but I feel like that's what the old people something. that elect him like like about him. Like to yeah, us, he's so that, silly. Like he's got a way of speaking. He's got his like, hey man, what's going? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he has like a, a familiarity that I think a lot of people kind of identify with. Yeah, as you were talking, it's like he's like it's like he's the indictment free version of Trump, but it's like. You know, you all if you don't have celiac disease, you're only eating a gluten free cookie if it's amazing, if it's like better yeah. than the gluten version. If you're fine with indictments, why are you going to go for the indictment free version? And if it's not even good. Well, also, it's like, OK, he doesn't have any indictments, but he has like a muggy should, like, maybe. background yeah, with the kid, with the with the students, whatever. Um, and he's beefing with Disney like he's anti-business. He's doing these things that are harming businesses in Florida. He's doing things that hurt like, you know, the the anti-immigration laws that he's doing. Yep. You know, uh, uh, fucking, first of all, from a basic humanity level, are harming human beings. But, we, you know, Republicans don't care about that. But it's harming businesses. It's harming farmers. It's harming co contractors. It's harming all these fucking things, you know. So, yeah, like, um, why would you, you know, this, like, gluten-free version also has other shit. Weird additives. Like, exactly. Yeah, weird additives. It's like, you might as well just get the real version. Exactly.
you mentioned something that I think brings us into our next segment really well, which is that Ron DeSantis is implementing policies in Florida that are not even broadly popular in the country, like statistically speaking, and they also aren't fully popular in in Florida. So I do want to go through this laundry list. I try not to list too much on this podcast because you can go read it, but I do think it is worth talking about all of these things at once and what this man is doing to his state to try to become president. So Ron DeSantis's timeline on announcing will probably have something to do with, you know, when he has signed Finner sign signing all of these laws that he kind of shepherded through the legislature. The Florida legislative session ended earlier this month, and there's reporting that he's been waiting to announce so that he can sort of, if, if you girls scroll down, there's a picture of him with this laundry list of far right goals that he, uh, I think this is the end of last week. So this is what he's done in recent and sort of the last month. He signed bills to approve a six weeks ban on abortion. But to clarify, that's not in effect yet. It it's it's stalled until the state supreme court makes a decision on the 15 week ban. He signed bills to outlaw gender affirming care for minors, to make that care harder for adults to access. He signed legislation to implement punishments for adult performances in front of minors, but that's just a law written to oppress drag performances, even though they have freedom of expression. Florida made it a misdemeanor for people to use bathrooms in public buildings that do not correspond to the sex they were assigned at birth. He expanded limits on discussions of gender identity in the classroom. Ron DeSantis signed legislation banning public universities and colleges from spending money on DEI initiatives. He removed requirements that someone has to have a permit to carry a concealed weapon. And he authorized a change that gun owners will no longer be required to pass a safety course and a background check, which, you know, I think a safety ad- a travel advisory to Florida is a in order. A safety course. Yeah. No, like- <laughs> he's also making it easier for his state to kill people. In April, Ron DeSantis signed a bill that would substantially lower the threshold for imposing the death penalty rather than requiring a unanimous 12-person jury vote to sentence a person to death. The new law would only require an 8-4 majority. This was kind of spurred by uh, the Parkland shooter was not given the death sentence. It was a split jury, but if he made this change, you know, they would have been. And, you know, that really affected that community. So I think, I think that Politicians that benefit from promoting capital punishment will really sort of, um, I think they exploit that grief sometimes. And we can't, Millie mentioned it, but we can't even get to Disney right now. But I think it's going to be a huge problem. So, you know, this is a dizzying and horrifying list. If you live in this state, I would consult your local news frequently to sort of understand which of these laws are in effect, because some of them are going to be immediately challenged legally and paused, but some of them will be in effect. And as I said, you know, Floridians actually disagree with a lot of these policies. Overwhelmingly, you know, there was the pulse shooting in Parkland. They don't want this freedom. This Anybody can carry a gun with nothing. They believe in abortion access. Is he doing this for Florida? And if not, what? who is he doing this for? Just national voters? How do you how do you react to this, Millie? Yeah, it's just really disappointing that like. He's doing this for national, but I, I just think like the 30 percent of people who actually want all of these things to happen, like. 30% of American people around the country that are spread out amongst 50 states, you know, not even like it's not the majority of Florida. It's not the majority of this country. It's just these 30% of people that and a lot of them are old. So they're going to vote. They have higher voter turnout. But it, because, yeah, like it just seems so out of step for what the what people are demanding and what where culture is going and what even younger people are wanting like as younger people ask for more gun reform he's going to loosen gun restrictions as people try to reconcile the effects of systemic racism he's going to do like you know 
ban DEI initiatives, which is literally like a little budget that a, a, a public university has to like throw a Black History Month event or something like that. It's not like anything transformative. Um, you know, again, as it, 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 the the adult performances like drag whatever in front of minors, like that is, it just reminds me of the Tennessee ban where it's like, okay, um, if you have a bar that, you know, if you have foot traffic in front of your bar and a kid can walk by, like, like what, you know, what is this? You know, this just seems so, you know, as again, like this is in, in, in uh, juxtaposition with RuPaul's drag race being one of the most popular, sh like, it just seems so out of step with where we're going. And he's doing this as a performative thing for this 30% of people, again, to grab the Trump vote. And it just sucks because there are a lot of things in Florida that do need immediate attention. You know, there are things, you know, all the time that we talk about with teacher shortages, climate change, all this stuff. And even if none of this gets through, even if some of this gets through, even if it gets through and the most day that will. somebody, most of it will get through, but it will like, you know, hopefully not last forever. It's just a waste of resources to, to do this. You know what I mean? And it's a waste just to get ahead on your fucking presidential election that you're not going to win anyway. It's just really unfortunate. You're right. Like, even if the will is not even there and a lot of like government officials to enforce these, it's their job now. I also just wonder, like, this is clearly a strategy to win a Republican primary. We don't even know if he's going to do that. Right. Really. Yeah, yeah. But let's say a world where he does. I just wonder if this backfires at the national level, because, again, these aren't nationally popular policies, especially when it comes to the abortion and gun rights mm -hmm. stuff. One thing with Trump in 2016, right, is that there was kind of always this thing of like, yeah, he says that stuff, but like, we don't know what he's going to do. Or he just says stuff. Let's elect him and see. Yeah. <laughs> but with Ron DeSantis, it's like, no, he actually signed a six-week abortion ban he mm -hmm. actually like he has actually acted on really unpopular things in a meaningful way so i just do wonder if the things that could potentially win him the republican primary lose him a national election when you can actually point to being like okay but he's he he doesn't live in the hypothetical world that Trump lived in in 2016 of like having no real record of anything. He has a real record that to some people and actually a majority of Americans is extremely distasteful. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, no matter what he's making a gamble, he's making some some choices. And I think there's, you know, for all the reasons you pointed out, it might not be a super effective strategy. Yeah, like uh, there's definitely a lot of people who just, you know, voted for Trump because of his vibe and, and was like, yeah, like you said, didn't really think he was actually going to implement those things and maybe didn't really take seriously what the practical impact would be. And here you have a state that's going to be, you know, we'll see what happens when all of these laws are in effect and how it impacts people. All right, we're going to move on to women's rights and women's wrongs. Jury's still out uh, on this one, but I wanted to start, you know, have you guys ever dated somebody who had uh, who had some interesting opinions or problematic behaviors that 
upset or concern some of your friends? Do we have to answer this? <laughs> no. <laughs> On the record? No. no. On never. the record? We'll never. I've never dated a guy for a year. And then after we broke up, like two years later, a bunch of my friends ran into him going to see Jordan Peterson speak with his new wife. That never happened. No, yeah, no, that never happened. That, no, happen. that, that also, it doesn't matter because it never happened. It never no, happened. That never happened. That's a hypothetical. That's a great hypothetical example for how this might affect us. But you guys, we're going to talk about Taylor Swift and her new boyfriend. Uh, me and me and uh, Elise, Elise and I are sort of the the Swifties and the Swift fans of this podcast. And Millie has long been the skeptic. So Millie is definitely having a, a month of vindication. Well, but I will say, I will say, do I blast Cruel Summer at least once a week in my apartment? Absolutely. We exactly. As we move forward with this, I mean, there are exceptions like, you know, Chris Brown and Woody Allen and shit like that. But like we hold nuance on this podcast. All right. Taylor Swift is dating this guy named Matt Healy. Maddie. I, I understand he goes by Maddie, but isn't he in his 30s? I can't. I know. <laughs> Maddie Healy. All right. Healy appeared on a podcast. He he has said some problematic stuff in the past. And I think he's his also, most problematic stuff is the most recent. But he's also a singer. It, yeah, it, he's, he's a prominent person for, with fans of his own. Uh, 19, the 1975. Yeah. So Healy appeared. The, the big issue here is that Healy appeared on a podcast called The Adam Friedland Show in February of 2023. It's amazing how many podcasts I've never heard of. And then you look into and they've got fucking like 10 millions and millions of views. Oh, this guy has a lot of followers. <laughs> really? And Good he's luck. like, uh, God, those fans are crazy. Well, uh, this episode you will not be able to find because Spotify and Apple removed it because of its explicit racism on behalf of Maddie Healy. So Healy referred to Ice Spice. She is a singer and she, her background is her dad is black and her mom is Dominican. But he referred to her I, I don't as a chubby Chinese Spice Girl and then later as one of the Inuit Spice Girls. This sort of anti-Asian racism continues. He goes on to then mock just an unidentified Asian accent. Then in a later conversation, he encourages the other men in the interview to mock a Japanese accent because the idea of a Japanese person working at a concentration camp is funny to them. You can find this. Just Google it. The article that came up for me, the people that curated it best to me were the Mary Sue, and they really go through it, and they found the clips. Uh, and then this, this, there's that part, but then this gives way to them kind of mocking Japanese culture in general. <laughs> in another part of the Resurfaced podcast, Healy references a friend walking in on him masturbating while he was watching porn on a website known for hosting content of white men pretty viciously degrading women of color. That's like, that's what the website is apparently known for. Healy said himself in the comments that the woman in the video where he was masturbating to was being brutalized. He said this on a podcast in a public forum. There's also, you know, some videos of him making fun of fans' names, like a fan with a South Asian name introduced himself, and he said her name sounded like gravel. Uh, he apologized for the Ice Spice thing, but then sort of said, like, he just didn't want to, he didn't want people to think that he was mean. It didn't seem like an authentic apology. So these are real, real problems. And I think that, you know, my For You page on TikTok is a lot of, like, Taylor Swift fans who are like, what the fuck? Like she's parading this guy around. Like she doesn't do anything not on purpose. So I don't know. Should we, is she in the wrong here for continuing to date this man? Or do you think there's like a, a redemption story? And if there is, should she address it? Elise, go ahead. <laughs> it's also fine to not have an opinion. We have opinions. We're Are you stunned by how bad? <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't. I, I have my TikTok for you page has also been a lot of like Maddie Healy sucks stuff, but I did not 
understand really the full extent of his commentary. I believe he also did a Nazi salute at a concert one time. He says it was to like mock Kanye, but it's like, no, you don't just you just don't do Nazi Nazi salute. Yeah, I think maybe just don't do a Nazi salute. And the thing at the concert. concert. Did you see the clip (laughs) where he's like at a concert and he says, I don't think it's racist. And then his bandmates immediately start playing over him and you can see him sort of being like, what the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. uh, His I I imagine being his bandmate is difficult. Um, So this is like not a guy that was ever on my radar in any way, shape or form until this news dropped. And at first I was just like, because I knew nothing about him. I was like, oh, it's funny that Taylor Swift's rebound guy is the most rebound looking guy I've ever seen. Like if you Google him, it's like, oh, this is the guy you rebound with. But it is like, it is interesting to me that I, I, I feel like Taylor has an attraction to these weird, like, edgelord guys sometimes mm-hmm. because uh, these John comments Mayer. that he made remind me of John Mayer. And yeah, his KKK and it's not like, penis. Yeah, like, it, they, they do remind me a lot of stuff that John Mayer has said that was really, really problematic. And it's interesting to me because I kind of... That's right, yeah. ...theory that in, like... So would have, could have, should have is her song about John Mayer that's on the Midnight's album. She's re-releasing Speak Now Next, which is her album that was about the John Mayer situation at the time. So I have I kind of have this pet theory that something has reignited Taylor's anger Mm -hmm. around John Mayer, which might just be that she's reached the age kind of that he was when they dated, which is gross. He was 32 and she was 19 in case anyone's forgotten. Um. So I or he like he was like a friend of mine was telling me that he was involved in Harry's album of the year. He like worked a lot on that. So maybe seeing Harry win that reignited anger. But it's just interesting to me on a psychological level that she had this horrible relationship with a weird edgelord, gross rocker guy in the past that she clearly still holds a lot of feelings of anger about. And now she's going to rebound with this guy that's like a worse, sleazier, grosser version and do it in this really public way. I just psychologically, I wonder what's going on there. Yeah, I guess for me, you know, in comedy and like I have a lot of friends who are mutual friends with Adam Friedlander and um, there's this whole circle of people and it's just it's just mostly white men. And it's like this whole thing of like this. It was something that you saw mainly a few years ago of this ironic racism or ironic quote unquote misogyny where they tried to like make fun of things. But it just ends up being misogynist or racist and stuff. But what like the irony is completely lost and now it's just completely full circle racism. And it's like they think that they're being edgy or provocative or even funny because people might give laughs of like uncomfortable laughter or something like that. So people again, go in thinking that it's going to be funny or like, ha ha Japanese people. Cause it's like, this is, I'm laughing because this is a funny observation. Whereas like, I'm laughing because this is an uncomfortable observation because it's like taking the humanity of like millions of people, you know, whatever. But like, so yeah, there's this whole genre and it's just like 
disappointing to see like all those men, you know, just in, just something that Millie Tavares has dealt with a lot in therapy, as does those people who make entire careers of saying the most edgelord shitty things get. I can't even tell you, look at Adam Freelander's Patreon subscribers or like, you know what I mean? Not just him. Like it's, it's a whole genre of people that are like making tons of money from people, you know, saying the most egregious, terrible things. And this is all to say like, that's a whole genre of things. So like Maddie Healy isn't like revolutionary in any of those perspectives. There's actually nothing edgy about being racist. It's actually the most boring thing ever. It's been around for 400 years since the been since like whatever. So like it's nothing revolutionary or edgy or anything about that. But it, it again, it's disappointing. There's a lot of disappointing things, right? The 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 existence of these guys in this genre is disappointing. The the fact that there's somebody with influence like 1975, like this guy who has this band, whatever, and like the band's uh fan base is mostly young women. And they're subject and subjecting themselves to this guy who's like a sleazeball. Like that's disappointing. It's disappointing. They're like huge fan base. But again, to the Taylor Swift of it all, on one end, I want to be like, you're not responsible for your partner, for whoever you date's like indiscretions. But like, this is different if he had like a stupid tweet from 15 years ago. But this is like he is making comments now as an adult man, and also like. Miss Taylor, Miss Miss, uh, from your documentary where it took you five weeks to come up with a tweet two weeks before an election and you weren't sure and this and that. You like if anyone understands the impact of her actions, it's Taylor Swift. And it's again super disappointing that I mean, I'm constantly disappointed by her in the terms of like she's not doing what she could be doing in terms of using her power or whatever, which is one thing that's her right, you know, though, but to actively like parade and, and, and be with this man and, and take him to events and be seen publicly with somebody who has these abhorrent views, who thinks it's funny to make fun of ice spice and all this shit. Um, again, like, it's just super disappointing. And it's like, oh, you like actually don't care about any of this stuff you're just doing, which is a criticism I personally have is like, how many of these stars and celebrities and all these stuff are doing these things because they actually care? Or are they doing this because it's the cool thing now to give a, you know, to like do this performative stuff. And finally, I'll say about Maddie Healy, which is again, like, you know, him not apologizing because it, he he saw the error of his race or that racism is wrong, but because he doesn't want Ice Spice to think he's mean. It's just totally like have your cake and eat it to like fucking ethos of all these stupid ass guys who like want to say edgy things because they want to be funny, quote unquote, but they don't actually want anyone to hate them. Like they don't want to have the consequences of their actions. And it's like, yeah, if you're calling somebody who's Nigerian and Dominican a Chinese Inuit spice, they're gonna think you're mean. Like, it's like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and that like you being mean, quote unquote, wasn't like the complaint. You were racist. <laughs> like, you were in extremely it's racist, incredibly and also racist, and then after, yeah, yeah, and like you made more racist comments. I just also think like. To Millie's point, which Millie's made, I think, on this podcast a number of times of like, definitely, 
you know, Taylor came out in this documentary and did this whole thing of like, I'm going to make a political statement, right? And we haven't heard a political <laughs> statement from her since. And we've kind of never needed one more, you know, in the and past the stakes, year. The stakes have only gone higher, yes. Especially, yeah. She's on a national tour in all of these blue cities and red states. And it's conspicuous. It's like, she shouldn't and, get away with one or the other, but her dating this guy while refusing to address what's going on, despite cashing in on a lot of feminist ideas, is for me. Well, feels- and that's the thing is like she played feminism when feminism was cool in the post Me Too era, and there wasn't anything in particular to say other than like feminism is good, right? And then she released. Uh, you need to calm down, which was the like LGBTQ, like leave gay people alone song anthem. Her whole lover era was really like around that. Talk to the gaylers about that more. <laughs> Can't we don't have time to get yeah. into the lover era and yeah. what was behind that? But <laughs> yeah. pain. But either way, for her to be doing this enormous tour, we don't hear one single thing about my body, my choice, even though other stars, Olivia Rodrigo spoke yeah. out at her stuff. Uh, like Megan The Stallion has spoken out like other people. I think Ariana Grande has as well. So it's like other people with her same profile have made statements. And then the biggest one to me is for her to do this big comeback in Nashville, which has been leading, which like led the charge on a lot of this anti-drag, anti-trans legislation, and many artists who have appeared in Nashville, Lizzo, et cetera, have chosen to bring out drag performers, make a statement, et cetera. So we got, it's crickets there as well. I think it's like the combination of that and her dating this gross, racist guy who looks like he smells like fucking shit yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looks like he sounds like an ashtray that was outside absolutely and got rained on and got rained yeah. on and, and then like dried. there's an yeah. old cigar in there and you're like mm-hmm. <laughs> i dated yeah. a french guy stop this is trigger that's different that's different <laughs> yeah that's different that's their culture <laughs> I'm curious about our listeners' thoughts. This would actually be an interesting thing to call and share your thoughts about for the listener town hall. If you want to defend Taylor, if you're also one of us, or you want to point out something else that's a little bit iffy, um, give us a call. We have a huge favor. We need phone calls. Like I said, we're going to prep an episode for you that's all uh, mailbag, voicemail. So send us your questions about politics, any local tea, the worst lawmaker in your area. I mean, the one last week about the the Michigan GOP fad girls. Oh, that was, was so good. Perfect. That was, that great. was so good. Amazing. Um, so yeah, sounds like we all want more like that. So call 212-287-5244 this week right now to leave us your voicemail. That is our show for today. Until the end of democracy, I'm Amanda Duberman. I'm Elise Morales. I'm Millie Tamaris. And this is the Betcha Podcast. Bye. The Betcha Podcast is produced by Amanda Duerman, Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales Pico, and Rebecca Sousmacat. Editing by Rebecca Sousmacat. Social media by Amanda Duberman and Bridget Swartz. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore sup on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails at suppod at betches.com. Betches.